I want to just let you know what we got tonight. Romans chapter 8, we're going to read a couple of verses and see what the Bible says. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome, and here's what he says. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And those he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you would speak to our heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit, who is the one who breathed upon men of old and inspired them to write the scripture, that you would help me to speak your word tonight with clarity and truth. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. Lord, I pray that tonight, if anybody's playing on their phones and not listening, that it would just, uh, Lord, not distract them, that they'd hear everything that I have uh, that you've given me tonight to be able to, to encourage our hearts and to help us. We bind all hindrances and distractions in Jesus' name, and we just say, Lord, have your way in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Well, tonight, I want to I wanna answer the question, and I, though it's, it's worded different here, and I'm going I'm to give you another wording for this in a moment. Tonight, I want to answer the question, how can you reconcile sovereignty versus free will? How can you reconcile sovereignty versus free will? Another way that you can, that's not the way I would have worded that question. That's the way it was worded to me. Let me answer that or ask that another way. How can you reconcile predestination versus free will? Tonight, we're going to be looking at a very, what appears to be to some, a complex biblical subject. Um, because uh, the part of the gifting on my life uh, is that of a teacher, I love to take the complex things and make them simple. And so tonight, I'm going to endeavor to do that. I'm going to try to give you the simplistic view of this so that maybe something that was confusing to you at one time, you can walk away with and say, well, that wasn't as confusing as I thought it was. And so uh, we're going to look at this uh, from a very base subject. There, there's a man that was very influential in the, uh, the early days of Christianity, specifically uh, within modern theology, his name was John Calvin. Has anybody ever heard the name John Calvin before? Anybody ever heard the term or the phrase Calvinism before? Okay, well, Calvin, John Calvin, uh, started uh, teaching a theology that he saw from the Scripture and it was the tulip theology, and he started talking about total depravity and, and, and how uh, God's divine grace and, and, and cause. And basically, if you want to boil all of that down into a nutshell, I want to take years of what would teach you in a college seminar and boil it down into a few moments. John Calvin believed, based on reading the Scripture, that God, in his foreknowledge, predetermined or predestined Everything in the world to happen from A to Z, from every bad thing, every good thing. But in John's theology, John goes on to say that God has predestined every person that would ever go to heaven to go to heaven. And they're going to get saved one way or another, whether they like it or not. And likewise, the opposite is true. John said that there are some who are predestined to go to hell. And there's nothing that they can ever do to be saved. Uh, there's a, a vast opposition to that theology 
uh, by many people, and they're called Arminians. Arminianism theology is, is the theology of free will. They look at the scriptures that say God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And so the question is tonight, how do you take something that seems to be so complex on both sides of the theological spectrum and reconcile them? Because oftentimes what we tend to do is we try to pull to one or pull to the other. As I've tried to teach you in times past, the river always runs the deepest in the middle. We try to get on one ditch and we try to get on the other ditch. But God's a God of balance. A lot of people don't think that, but God's a God of balance. The Bible says one thing that the Lord hates is an unjust scale or a false balance. And so, uh, you know, people preach on heaven, but they don't preach on hell. They preach on, on grace, but they don't preach on judgment. They preach on um, um, legalism, but they don't preach on freedom. Uh, God is a God of balance. And so we've got to look at the Scripture from top to bottom, from start to finish, and, and understand that this is something that the Scripture deals with, but yet we've got to walk away and see exactly what God wants us to see from this question. So before we can really jump into that, we've got to wrestle with a couple of different ideologies. Now, let's get extreme for a minute, okay? We're going to get extreme for just a moment. Is it all right to get extreme? All right. The question was asked, how can you reconcile sovereignty versus free will? I want to get over into the extreme side of sovereignty. Uh, people get hung up on this idea, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Um, the problem is, is that most people, when they say God is sovereign, they're not using the word sovereign in the, word, in, the, in the same way that the Bible uses the word sovereign. In fact, the old King James Version of the Bible only uses the word sovereign or sovereignty in relation to God one time. That word in the Hebrew literally means, it means like the chief or the overseer, like the king of a nation, okay? And so you understand in a nation there's a king, and that king has delegates and armies under him that carry out his rule, right? He's the overseer of the thing. And so that's the way the Bible uses the word sovereignty. The way that Calvinists use the word sovereignty is a little bit different. They use it like this. They say, they say things like this. Well, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Everything happens for a reason. Well, it must be God's plan. Well, if this person was sick and they didn't get healed, then they come up with the idea, well, God must have just wanted me this way. The problem with the radical doctrine of the sovereignty of God is this. If then you come across the Scripture and the idea that God has willed everything in the earth to happen, you have uh, really criminalized the Lord. The Bible says that there, uh, every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, the book of James says, from the Father of lights, whom there is no variableness, neither is there any shadow of turning. Can I tell you, God is not putting sickness on people. You know how I know that? Because he doesn't have any to give you. 
God's not paralyzing you. He's not giving you fear. He's not doing any of the, he's not got any poverty to give you. Now, you can get outside of his blessing and cause those things to happen to your life. But if it's good, it comes from God. If it's bad, it comes from the, the flesh, the world, the adversary, and the adversarial plan. But when we take the radical approach of the sovereignty of God and say everything that happens in the earth is God's will, here's what you have to walk away with. Every child that was sex trafficked was God's will. Is that your view of God? Every, every young woman who was pulled into a back alley and raped was God's will? Absolutely not. None of us would do that. Uh, if God authored that, he's a, he's a child abuser. You see, you got to take the, the view of what the Bible means that God is sovereign. See, we say things like, well, God is in control. Well, in the grand scheme of things, yes, God is in control. But I want to remind you of a scripture, dear friend. This scripture is in Psalm 115, verse 16. It says, the heavens far above the earth, they are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. You know, God gave mankind in the garden dominion to steward over the earth. Of course, you know, Adam and Eve messed that up and sin came into the world. But, but God actually gave uh, uh, the earth to man to manage and to steward. That's why in the Old Testament there were laws that were to govern the people. There were prophets that heard from God and governed the people. There were kings. There were judges. There were all of those things that God meant for there to be law and order in some shape, form, and fashion upon the earth. But to say then that if it happens, it must be God's will is to really paint God in a corner. Let me just ask you a question um, this, this, uh, this afternoon, this evening. If everything is truly God's will, why pray? If God has predestined everybody who's ever going to go to heaven to go to heaven, no matter what you do or say to them, why preach the gospel? Why evangelize? Why spend billions of dollars every year across the continents to send missionaries around the world to teach people about Jesus who never heard before? It would be asinine to do such a thing because deep down in our souls, such an ideology doesn't make sense. So we have to then ask ourselves, what is the balance here? And I think I'm going to be able to help you tonight. In Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul He's writing to the church at Rome. He's talking to them about various things. And uh, one of the things that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 8 is the foreknowledge of God. And it's that classic verse that all of us love. It's Romans 8, uh, 29. It says, For we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We all love to quote that verse. But in the context of that verse, what it's saying is, is that when a person is walking in God's plan for their life, when a person is serving the Lord, they're seeking after him, they're seeking after uh, communion with the Lord, and they are walking in his way, even when bad things come along or we get off the path or things happen to our life, God is able to work all things together for our good and get us back on the path that he has for us. Listen, if you trust your GPS to get you back on track after you missed an exit. Listen, I was traveling here a while back, and I was talking to somebody in the car. I missed an exit. I had to go 10 miles before I could turn around. But guess what? It got me back to where I needed to go. 
If you can trust your GPS to do that, how come we can't trust God to get us back on path? Now, the, the, um, the counterpart to that is there was a statement that was going around. Uh, with, they call them memes. They're like little pictures with sayings on them. There was a little meme going around that said, uh, you think you can mess up God's plan for your life? You're not that strong. Well, that's the dumbest statement ever in the world. Because the New Testament is full of people who messed up God's plan for their life. See, we, 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 we dance with this thing of we believe in free will, and we use that when it's convenient. Then we grab this hyper-Calvinism thing over here, and we use it when it's convenient. We do the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. We say, oh, well, we believe in all nine gifts of the Spirit, but we don't believe in all five ministry gifts the Lord gave us. Hello? So we can't be partial cessationists, then cessationists, uh, not cessationists, or we can't be uh, partial Calvinists and whatever, because both of them are in the Scripture. We wrestle with this God predestines, and we also wrestle with this free will of man. So here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Are you ready? I'm going to attempt to take something in a very short time that's very difficult to make it simple. If you're taking notes tonight, number one, write this down. God predestines the plan. God predestines the plan. What does that mean? Well, take salvation, for instance. Take salvation, for instance. You know, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and without void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And, you know, the Bible begins to tell us that God said, let there be, and there light was, and he began to speak all these things into existence. And then in Genesis chapter 2, after the creation of man, we find a slithering serpent in the garden that is talking to Eve. Now, I watched the movie Dr. Doolittle one time. I don't know if you watched it, but apparently animals used to talk before the fall because it obviously didn't freak Eve out that a snake was talking to her. But a snake was talking to her, and uh, I'll tell you how Satan had, uh, how I know for a fact Satan had already fallen, because you know, snakes don't have feet, right? He was defeated. Come on, laugh somebody. He was, you, it's okay to laugh. If you're happy and you know it, notify your face. Amen. So, so Satan deceived them, and sin entered into the world. And then here you have this plan that happens, that from the very first sacrifice of killing an animal to get the skin that covered the man's nakedness, that was instructed by God. You know, uh, I don't want to get into this, but people, people argue what was the, what was the whatever, what, what was the fruit that they ate what we do know is that they got the fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves up. Fig leaves uh, and the fig represents Israel. The fig leaf would represent the law, part of the law in the Old Testament. And they're trying to cover themselves up. But God was trying to tell them, you can't cover yourself up with that. You have to cover up yourself with something that dies in your place. And so God instructed them to get the skin of an animal. And from that point, we see animal sacrifices. And then we see God instructing them. Then, of course, we see Passover, right, where we celebrate communion and the lamb that was slain. The blood was applied to the doorpost and the lentils of the house. And where the blood was applied, the death angel passed over. 
Hebrews writer tells us Christ was our Passover once and all offered sacrifice for sin, right? So what I'm trying to tell you is how does this thing reconcile together? First of all, we got to know that God predestined the plan. God is bigger than us. He's so much bigger than us. Theology is the study of God. But let me tell you something. The more you study theology, the more you realize God is way bigger than you think. I'm not one of those people who is so arrogant to think I have all of the answers. I'm one of the first people to tell you, I don't know, but I'll try to find out. Because I know this, there's some subjects that I study about the Scripture and about the Lord that when, I, when I'm searching to find these questions, I come away with more questions at times than I do answers. I believe it's because God wants us to continually seek after him. He desires for us to know him, but he's revealing himself to us. And there are more things about him that cause us to be in awe and wonder. And we, we just keep seeking his face. But God predestines the plan. Here's the thing. In eternity past, before the first thing was ever created on the earth, God had a plan. Do you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, God was not up in heaven saying, well, uh-oh, that didn't happen like I thought it would. Can I prove it to you? In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator was caught up and he saw things that were happening in the heavenlies and he saw the scrolls that were being opened up. This is Revelation 4, Revelation 5. And John said, behold, I saw a lamb that had been slain from the foundations of the earth. What that means is that Jesus was not God's plan B. You know, when people are promiscuous, right, they have this thing called a plan B pill. You can go fix your, your accident, you know. God doesn't have a plan B pill. Jesus was his plan A from the very beginning. God predestined the plan, right? Somebody say he predestined the plan. Listen, God knew every single one of us before we were even a sparkle in our parents' eye. The Bible says he knows the number of our days. He knows the hairs that are upon our head, or you can laugh, lack thereof. The blades of grass in our yard, he knows our address, he knows where we're at. He knows all of those things. And listen, make no mistake about it. God has a plan for your life. And as we are Christians, right, they who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. We are spending our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit every day. People say, how can I find the will of God for my life? Well, just wake up and seek the Lord every day, and you'll find it. You just keep walking one step, one foot in front of the other. God will lead you. He leads me into green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. If we seek after God, he's going to lead us to the very place that he wants us to go, right? He leads us. God predestines this plan, okay? That's what we would call predestination. Uh, from eternity past, God already had a plan. Let me tell you, there are things that you cannot pray away. Listen, the second coming of Christ is going to happen. It doesn't matter how much you fast or you pray. It is going to happen. 
I had a young man ask me one time, said, well, God is merciful, God is gracious, and, and he forgives everybody and everything. And I said, yes, sir, you're right. He's, he, he, he asked me the question. He said, well, then what, what would happen if the devil got saved? I said, that can't happen. He said, what do you mean it can't happen? I was like, I'm not saying like it can happen, but it's not going to. Well, how do you know? Because the scripture has already said. There are prophecy things that God has already laid in in place from eternity past. The reformation of the nation of Israel, the uh, Israel carried away in the Babylonian captivity years prior before that, um, the uh, tribulation period, the rapture of the church. I'm not saying these things in order, but these prophetic things, God has already planned. And listen, they are going to happen. God's predestined the plan. We're not going to be able to stop the millennial reign. We're not going to be able to stop what God has foreordained. So there's this overarching, I want you to imagine this sphere, right? They say the world is flat. It's not. It's round. The Bible said he sits on the circle of the earth. Okay? I want you to imagine this sphere, right? Point A, point B. You have God's overarching plan. And in that includes you and I. God has a perfect will for our lives. Absolutely. Before man ever fell, Jesus prepared a, was prepared as a lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. Um, you talk about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who wrote Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. It says, Jeremiah, before I knew you, before you were even, no, he said, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you and I had foreordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Listen, his calling came before his birth. God knew. That's why abortions murder. Hello, somebody. Those are lives. God has spoken them into existence. They've existed in the mind of God. Listen, you were, you were, you were thought of before you showed up. God predestines the plan. Yet, this tension in the scripture kind of tells us that there are opportunities and situations in our lives where we have the ability not to choose God's plan. Now, I want you to look at Romans chapter 8 again, verse 29 through 30, and let's read it together. It says, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, watch this. For those he foreknew. Let me ask you a question. Did God foreknew you? He did. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. The Bible speaks about God's foreknowledge of the plan. Now, just because you know something is going to happen, right, doesn't mean you caused it, right? This is making sense to anybody. God has foreknowledge. Let me give it to you in practical terms. I invite my friend to watch the Super Bowl. My friend does not get off until 10 p.m. So he asked me to make a promise. He says, if you watch the Super Bowl before me, without me, you have to promise me that you don't tell me anything. 
I don't want to know who wins. I don't, want, I don't want to know when there's a fumble. I don't want to know when there's a foul. I don't want to know about the halftime show. And so as a good friend, I watch it, and uh, I, I don't tell him anything. And then we watch it together after he gets home. At this point, I have what's called foreknowledge. I know who's going to run the ball. I know who's going to score a touchdown. I ultimately know who's going to win. I didn't make any of that happen, but I knew it based on foreknowledge. The Bible says God knows the end of a thing from the beginning. He just knows. Now, people say, well, I just can't wrap my mind around that. Well, that's why he's God, and we're not. But God predestines a plan. He has a plan for our life. Your kids... In this room, your grandkids who are not serving God, your spouses who are not saved, God has a plan for their life. And that plan is to serve him and to love him. But listen, God loves us so much, we're getting into this next, that he doesn't make us puppets on a string and make us do whatever it is. You say, well, pastor, do you have scripture for that? I do. Let's move on to the second section here. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. Number one, God predestines the plan. But number two, he gives man the choice to choose. He gives us the choice to choose. What does that mean? Free will can be defined as man's ability to make a choice. Now, let me tell you something. God can influence our choices. The Bible, that one of the great passages of scripture that people wrestle with in the Old Testament. We just read this as a family, but uh, people wrestle with the fact that the book of Exodus says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Well, people say, well, Pharaoh didn't have a choice. When the scripture says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what it means is the plagues that God sent upon Egypt gave Pharaoh an opportunity sent from God for his heart to be hardened. It was part of redemption's plan. God used the circumstances, situation, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I want you to think about the prophet Jonah. Jonah, the great prophet who was called to go and preach the gospel to these people that he did not want to be saved. So he had free will. He said, I'm taking a ticket, going down to the boat station, and I'm going as far as I can in the opposite direction. God let him go. Free will. But guess what happened? Here a big old fish came. They threw Jonah off the boat because everything was going wrong. And, and this fish swallowed him up. And the Bible says, in the belly of the well, I cried. Listen, God used that circumstance and situation to get Jonah back on track. But he gave him the opportunity to choose. God gives us the ability to make decisions with our own human faculties. We're not robots that are just controlled by whatever, but no, God gives us, gives us distinct faculties, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and gives us the ability to choose. Here it is, clear as day in Scripture. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. Look at this. Deuteronomy 30 Verse 19 through 20. Look at what Moses says. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Notice this. These are the words of the Lord speaking. That I have set before you life and death. I've set before you blessing and cursing. Watch this. Therefore, choose life. 
that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to God, to give them. I want you to notice in Deuteronomy 30, the Lord says, I've set before you a choice, life or death, blessing or cursing. And he gives us the answer to the open book test. He says, choose life that you and your seed might live, that you might inherit the land that your fathers promised you. And in other words, what he was saying is if they disobeyed, they would not receive this benefit. Let me ask you the question, how many believe Israel was God's chosen people and is still God's chosen people? Now listen. In the Old Testament, God gave them the ability to choose. He gave them the ability to choose, and they paid dearly for their consequences, for their choices. People, I tell people all the time, well, you're free to make your choice, but you're not free of the consequence of the choice, right? That goes for kids and grown-ups. You know, you're an adult. You can do what you want to do, but there may be repercussions that come with that, right? You can spend your light bill money on a four-wheeler, but they're going to cut off your lights. And, and Friday in July will be Black Friday, just like in November. Hello. You can do that. Nobody's going to stop you. You can spend your grocery money on lottery tickets. You know, nobody's going to put a gun to your head and make you do one thing or the other. You can do that, but there's consequences. God gives us the ability to choose and then gives us an open book test. And he's like, man, look, just choose life that you and your seed might live. And Israel, you know, they, they, they didn't do that. They played the harlot with every god under the trees, what the prophet Isaiah said. And uh, they just, they went here, they went there. And, and God had this relationship with them back and forth in the Old Testament of wooing them to himself. And then they turn and go back to idolatry and boom, 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 boom. But God had a plan for their life, but yet he gave them the free will to choose. I want you to know something, that there's not a person in this room tonight or listening to me by way of any type of media source that does not have a free will. You have a free will. It's given to you by God. You can choose to serve the Lord. You can choose not to serve the Lord. Now, if God's called you to do something great and you disobey him, you're going to be miserable all the way there. But let me tell you something. You can do what you want to do. Peter went back fishing. He didn't catch anything. Demas left Paul forsaking him, having loved the present world. Scripture is full of places where people make a choice. Reference to Scripture a moment ago greatly flies in the face of what Calvin taught. Calvin taught that God had predestined people to go to heaven, people to go to hell, and you just better hope that you were one of the called and one of the elect. Okay, problem with that is in John chapter 3 when Jesus is dealing with Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus comes to him and, you know, he's a, of the religious rule and he's trying to sneak around and not get in trouble with his people that's over him. And he goes to Jesus and he says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, you know, begins to tell him some stuff and then basically comes around with, well, you must be born again. He said, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, begins to tell them those things. And then uh, Jesus goes on to say in John uh, 3, 17, uh, 
that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have eternal life. And he says, it's not God's plan or God's will that any should perish. Any. Somebody say any. It's not God's will that any should perish, but his will is that all should come to repentance. So it's our job to talk to people about Christ. That's what I do week in after week out. I'm a salesman that sells one product. You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Christ. I'm trying to convince people week after week, this is the goodness of God, that he gave his son for you on Calvary, that he took your sin, that he took your shame, that he took your punishment. And, you know, and, you know people week after week, they walk out, you know, I don't think I got anything out of that. No, you know, because made up your mind, I'm not going to serve the Lord. God gives everybody a choice, and we have to choose to follow him. The third thing, and I apologize, I was running through these notes fast, getting called up this week, so I got two number threes, but it's a three and a four. The third thing is that we've just got to learn to embrace the tension. We've got to recognize that there's tension between this divine predestination, sovereignty versus human decision-making. We've got to realize that God guides our steps, but yet respects our choices. I'm going to say that again. God guides our steps, but yet he respects our choices. Proverbs 16, verse 9, look at this. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you know that your plan for your life and God's plan for your life can be two totally different plans? You may, you may have a ticket to Hawaii and God wants you to go to Afghanistan. Hello, Jonah. But, you know, you plan your way, but God directs our steps. We got to embrace this tension in the scripture that God has a plan for our life and it's this perfect plan. And as Christians, you and I should be seeking to find that plan and see what that plan is and walk in that plan. We should find, follow, and fulfill the will of God for our lives. But yet we got to embrace the tension that while God has a plan that he's thought of in his foreknowledge, that he still gives us the choice. Here's the fourth thing. We've got to flesh out God's plan. We've got to seek God for his plan. We've got to seek out his will for our lives and our daily lives. You know, um, when it comes to the scripture, I love the way F.F. Bosworth says this, faith cannot exist where the will of God is unknown. I mean, how can you have faith for something? I mean, really have bulldog tenacious faith. Faith that does not turn loose. Faith that does not take no for an answer. How can you really have faith for something when you're unsure if it's God's will? You really can't. If you have any doubt in your heart whether or not something is God's will, you will not be able to pray effectively. You just can't. You know, I've heard people, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to somebody that's 
sick. You know, we got all these scriptures in the Bible. You know, believers should lay hands on the sick. They should recover. And he gives us the gifts of healings in the church. And, and Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out and pray for the sick and cast out devils. And all of these things that are plainly the will of God in scripture, right? I mean, it's just screaming at us. And then people get down and say, oh, God, if it be thy will, would you please heal Johnny? The problem is we don't play, pray like that concerning salvation. Lord, if it's your will, please save my son. I don't want him to go to hell. God already said what his will is. It's settled. But when it comes to finding the will of God for our day-to-day life, these are the things that we got to seek after him for. Man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Let me tell you something. Every step I plan for myself would not have ended me right here tonight. But because the Lord is leading my steps and I'm letting him lead my steps, I I have my little plans, but because I'm following the Lord, he puts me right where he wants me. Amen? And that's settling at night when you lay your head on the pillow. But there are things in the Scripture that are not clear. For instance... The Bible says, if a man does not work, hello, he should not eat. Obviously, that's not talking about disabled people or whatever. It's talking about lazy folks. If a man don't work, he don't eat. The Bible says, if a man does not provide for his own house, he is worse off than an infidel. That's what the Scripture says. Some old lazy, able-bodied man sitting up in the air conditioner and won't work provide for his wife and kids oh lord help me somebody but the bible doesn't tell us where to work am i supposed to be a truck driver am i supposed to work at the hospital am i supposed to be a school teacher what am i supposed to do that's when we seek god on a personal level and we got to flesh it out in our daily lives the scripture tells us this look at it it's in philippians chapter 2 verse 12 Verse 13, Paul writes, he's to the church of Philippi, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but as much more in my absence, watch this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And when the scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, I, I, I think we, we use the word salvation there the way that we would in the fact of somebody getting saved. And if you, if you view it like that, I don't have to work out my salvation. Jesus paid for my salvation. I don't have, it's not a works-based gospel. But, but the way Paul is using the phrase salvation here has to do more with our walk with God, our relationship with God. You got to work out your own salvation. Listen, if I'm, if I'm walking with Jesus, I need, listen, I know the gospel needs to be all over the world. I need to know, though, am I supposed to go to Philippi or am I supposed to go to Damascus? Hello. That's what the Bible says when it says work out your own salvation. It's, it's the leading of the Holy Spirit on an everyday life. But here's what I know. I know that if we're following the Lord we're doing our best to follow him. We're following his leadership. We're going to end up in his plan. 
And if, there's a big if there, you don't have to, but if, and if you get off, he's able to make all things work together for our good to those who love him and are called to his purpose. But I want to close with this statement and this thought. There are people who die every day who don't make it to heaven. That's not God's will. There are people who die in distraught situations and dilapidated conditions and it's not God's perfect will. That's why Jesus, when he gave us the model prayer, what we've called the Lord's Prayer, he tells us, pray this way. When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. God's got a perfect will. But he asked us to pray that his perfect will concerning us on the earth would be done as it is in heaven. So I hope I didn't confuse you more. The question is, how do you reconcile uh, predestination or sovereignty with free will? The question, the, the answer to that question is simply this. I don't know that you can really reconcile it. You just have to understand that God has a plan, but he gives us a choice to follow it. But imagine tonight if I took you to a cemetery and we read the headstones and we looked at all the epitaphs that spoke of the people who died. There are many books, films, inventions, patents that are in those graves. They never fully fulfilled the purpose or the potential that God had foreknew and predestined them to do. Because even the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, in the end of his life, tells us stupidity can cause us to die before our time. You know, I can't rightly say as somebody walks out in front of a truck and that was God's will for their life. Well, hello. That's crazy. But doing stupid things can cut our life short. But God has a plan. And if you're here tonight, I'm closing with this, and this is my second closing, so it's the official one. Here's the third one. Close your Bible. If you have an electric one, turn it off. I want to I I speak truth to reality for a second. So many people get so anxious about, I want to make sure I'm not missing the will of God. Just love the Lord. Just love the Lord. Don't spend your whole life stressed out on if you're missing the will of God. If you'll love the Lord, follow him, and seek to obey him, you'll run smack dab in the middle of the will of it every single time. And, and, and if you're getting far enough off the path, he knows how to say, recalculating, recalculating, make a U-turn. Amen? God's good.